long time I traveled down a long lonely road. My heart was so heavy and sin I sank low. Then I heard about Jesus. What a wonderful hour. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out through His saving power. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. Like a bird out of prison that has taken its flight. Like a blind man that God gave back his sight. Like a poor wretched beggar that's found fortune and fame. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out through His holy name. Thank God I am free, free, free from this world of sin. I've been washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out and show me the way. My name is Tyler Matthews. I'm from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and I will be a junior this semester at Crown College studying pastoral ministries. Hello, my name is Jonathan Shaw. I'm from DeLand, Florida, and I'm going into my sophomore year at Crown College, and I'm studying youth ministries. Hi, my name is Colton Davis. I will be a senior this year at Crown College. I'm studying pastoral ministries, and I'm from Alberta, Canada. And at the piano, we have Danny Satterfield. He's from McDonough, Georgia, and he will be a senior this coming semester at Crown College studying pastoral ministries. Are you weary from the battle you're fighting? Does it seem like the storm just won't break? Is there a mountain in front of you that doubt says will never move? And you wonder, will God make a way? And tell me a time. He's not been faithful. Tell me a morning His mercies weren't new. Tell me a moment He wasn't able to carry you through. Tell me a day He was less than almighty when He could not roll back the tide. Child, when you look back, you're gonna find there was never a time. So be strong in the Lord and remember 
to take hold of faith and stand firm. Oh, you can be confident the Lord keeps his promises. If you doubt it, just read through his word. And tell me a time he's not been faithful. Tell me a morning his mercies weren't new. Tell me a moment he wasn't able to carry you through. Tell me a day he was less than almighty when he could not roll back the tide. Child, when you look back, you're gonna find there was never time. Oh, he can work miracles, do the impossible. If you don't believe it, just go on and try. Tell me a time he's not been faithful. Tell me a morning his mercies weren't new. Tell me a moment he wasn't able to carry you through. Tell me a day he was less than almighty when he could not roll back the tide. Child, when you look back, you're gonna find there was never a time. Child, when you look back, you're gonna find there was never a time. Never a time. Well, it's so good to be here, especially in this new building. I mean, it's really exciting. And uh, this is our last service singing together this summer. And... Uh, so the Lord has led all the way up until this point, and it really is amazing. I just wanted to mention a word about Crown College. Uh, I was talking, we were talking uh, to someone before the service, and uh, it got pointed out, none of us are music majors, we're all ministry majors. And uh, so if, you know, if it doesn't sound too good, I mean, <laughs> we'll, we'll all take a turn preaching or something, you know. But no, the Lord, I just would like to testify for just a second. God has been so good this summer. So good. I mean, we've been all over the place, even in Canada. And there's been gospel opportunity after gospel opportunity. I, uh, we were talking today, and it's, you know, we've, we've been able, praise God, we've been able to give the gospel to so many people this summer. Beyond just singing, beyond preaching, I mean, door knocking, all, all kinds of stuff. And, and God has been very good. But just a word about Crown College, uh, there is, we are ministry majors, uh, studying pastoral ministry and youth ministry. There's also missions and music ministry. And then there's, of course, a school of education, uh, secondary education, so that's high school. Also elementary education, and you can do your student teaching at Crown. Um, school of business and uh, several different business degrees and certifications. And the school of trades and technology. So welding, HVAC, auto diesel, and cosmetology. And the great thing about that is, you know, you can go other places and learn those things, but you can't go other places and have the environment of a Bible college. 
and uh, so it's a great thing. Also, the School of Science and Healthcare, and uh, pre-nursing, pre-med, things like that. And uh, we have information about all these uh, areas of study at our table in the back, and we'd love to answer any questions at all. Um, di there's different scholarships. Basically, everyone who comes to Crown College can uh, apply for a scholarship. And, uh, but I, I, I have said this the whole summer, so I'm definitely going to say it tonight on the last night. <laughs> the best thing about Crown College, in my opinion, is this. We are in the classroom, you know, there's, we have friends who are studying auto, auto diesel and cosmetology and business and all these things, and we're in the classroom together and we learn how to lead a soul to Christ. Uh, we learn how to teach the Bible, all these things in the classroom, but we don't just sit in the classroom and learn it. We have the opportunity to go out and put it into practice through the local church there. And, and so uh, a, a preacher came last fall to preach chapel, and he said this to us as students. He said, the ministry is not some far-off thing. The ministry is right now. And uh, that's true for all of us. The ministry is right now. It's something not far-off distant. Uh, you know, there's, there's people, there's lost people all around us who need the gospel. So the ministry's right now. And uh, it's great to be here, and we look forward to speaking with you after the service if you have any questions at all. cried out to crucify they nailed him to a rugged cross and left him there to die they gambled for the royal robe he wore not knowing they had crucified my lord he bore the sin and shame of all mankind and as he hung there dying, I was on his mind. His sacrifice and love some don't appreciate. But I would like to speak and set the record straight. That's my God, and I love him. That's my Jesus, he died for me. For all the world to hear, I'll say it loud and clear, that's my God, that's my God. Some say he's nothing more than fairy tale, he's just a myth or legend, his presence is not real, his word is not correct politically. They curse and mock his name defiantly. Oh, but time has never changed a changeless one. Their lies cannot disprove the existence of God's Son. Though some may be content to just sit by, 
I for one must stand and testify That's my God and I love him That's my Jesus, he died for me For all the world to hear I'll say it loud and clear That's my God, that's my God that's my God, and I love Him. That's my Jesus, He died for me. For all the world to hear, I'll say it loud and clear. That's my God, that's my God, that's my God, that's my God. All want their lives to count for something To leave their mark when life is through But vain pursuit will count for nothing Time will erase whatever we do I want my life to count for Jesus For earthly things will quickly fade No need to add to worldly riches I only seek eternal gain Inside my heart there burned a question What was I placed on earth here for? It truly was to build a kingdom Not of my own, but of the Lord I want my life to count for Jesus For earthly things will quickly fade No need to add to worldly riches I only seek eternal gain In my life, Lord, be glorified in my life, Lord, be glorified today. No need to add to worldly riches. I only seek eternal gain. Amen. Well, again, it's a blessing to be here, and uh, 
I mean, after traveling all over the country the whole summer, and it's like the Lord, again, the Lord has led up, everything has led up to this moment, and God has been very good. And it is very exciting to see this. Pastor told me over the phone about the building and all that, and so God is very good, isn't he? And uh, if you would, please, go with me to the book of Deuteronomy and chapter 15. This was really a passage of Scripture. I spent a semester uh, in England with the campus Crown has there. And this passage of Scripture, God really used in my life. And recently, it, it, the Lord has brought it back uh, and, and convicted me about some things through it. Let's begin in verse number... 12. So chapter 15 of Deuteronomy, Moses is going to die, and he knows that coming into Deuteronomy. He knows he's going to die, and so he's reviewing the law with the people. And so when we get to chapter number 15, he's talking about the seventh year, and every seventh year there would be a release. So debts would be forgiven, uh, things like that. And then when we get to uh, verse number 12, it says this. And if thy brother, an Hebrew man or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock and out of thy floor and out of thy winepress of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. And the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today. Verse 16, and it shall be if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee because he loveth thee in thine house because he is well with thee. Then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful day, God. Thank you for how merciful you are. And God, thank you that you never change. But Lord, thank you so much that every day, today, we found something new about your mercy. And Thank you, Lord, for this place, for this church. Thank you that we can come here and see how you're working. God, thank you for your word. Lord, please just help me to preach what you've preached to me. Help me to say only what you've said, God. Lord, let your word speak. Lord, please totally remove me out of the way and, and speak from your word. Lord, please meet with us. Lord, let there be conviction from your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So we read about this servant 
that when the seventh year came, this servant had the opportunity to leave his master. The master was commanded to tell the servant, you can leave. In this seventh year, just as all these debts were forgiven, all these things, the servant would be allowed to go free. And, and not just free, they could go free and have the, the, the master was commanded as the servant was to go free that, that uh, they would give the servant some riches out of their flock, out of their uh, floor, out of the wine press. But it says if the servant would not go away free because he loved his master, there were some things that had to happen. And there's three things in, in this scripture that we see that applies to our lives today. And so I have three questions, three questions that I ask myself when I read this. The first one is this, who is your master? Who is my master? Uh, there's a, the master in Deuteronomy, again, was uh, commanded to uh, give the servant abundance when he was to go free. But, but there was this, again, this servant that if he chose not to go free, the master was to do something. But again, how does this apply to us? Well, with the question, who is our master? Who is your master? Uh, Matthew chapter number six and verse 24 says, no man can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And so the truth is every single person in here tonight, we are serving some master. I can't answer the question, who is your master for you? But I do know this, you're serving, I am, you are, we are serving something. We're serving someone. And the Bible says, Jesus Christ said, you, you can't have two masters. It, it's impossible to serve two masters because you'll love the one and hate the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So it's either God or it's us. It's either Christ or itself. It's either it's either the, the, uh, the things that God has for us or it's, it's what Satan has. There's no in-between. It, it, there's no in-between in this. It's, it's, it's God or us. And so the question is, who is your master? Who is your master? The master that we read about in Deuteronomy was a merciful master. You know, it's really amazing if your master is the Lord, if your master is Christ, let me tell you a couple things about who your master is. Your master, Philippians chapter 2, maybe you'd like to look there with me. Philippians chapter 2 talks about who Christ was and what Christ did for us. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is who our master is, or excuse me, at least who our master 
should be. As believers, our, our master should be Christ. And what did our master do for us? Our master became a servant for us. The Bible says he humbled himself. So this is God. I will never get over this, that the Son of God would humble himself. God would do that. He would humble himself. And it says, and he became obedient unto death. So he was found in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He took upon him the form of a servant. God, he was God, and he could have come as, he could have been born as some ruler, as some prince, at, at easily. He could have made some grand entrance into this world, but we know how he was born. He was born next to the animals in the stall. And then it says he became obedient unto death. So God humbled himself, became a servant for us, and became obedient unto death. And not just any death, he became obedient unto the death of the cross. And I, I will never get past the fact that God would do that for us. That's who our master is. He became a servant for us. And just like the, the servant in Deuteronomy would not go away free, Christ took our sin upon him. That's what he did for us. And, and it, you know, it's amazing because really and truly it wasn't, they nailed him to that cross. The, the Roman soldiers took him and nailed him to that cross. And they, they raised him up for the world to see in humiliation. And, it, and yet it was not, it, it truly, it wasn't the nails that held him to that cross. He, he was the creator God who created the elements in the earth that melted in to form those nails. A nail was nothing to hold the Son of God to a piece of wood. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. He created those Roman soldiers. He, he gave them life. And as they mocked him and as they beat him and they humiliated him, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't them that held him to the cross. It was their sin, and it was my sin, and it was your sin that held him to that cross. And what a humbling thought that the Son of God would become a servant for me and for you. He became a servant for us. The great shepherd, the good shepherd, was also the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. He died for us. Now, who is your master? Is your master Christ or is it self? Let me tell you a little bit about self. So often we live to please self. And, and we, we're such selfish people. Even as Christians, we, we get unsatisfied with the things of God. We get discontented and we start to look for satisfaction in everything else but Christ. The only one who can satisfy and we look within self for that? Oh, you know, the world says that. The world says you have everything good within you. Believe in yourself. And we laugh at that, but yet how often do we do it day by day? We live that way day by day. We live believing in ourselves rather than finding sufficiency in Christ. And you know what happens when we look to ourselves? Remember what the Bible says about our hearts? They're wicked. They're desperately evil. So why would we look to self? It's the same thing. 
Maybe it's you look to other people and other people are your master and you seek to please other people. When you look to other people, you find the same thing that you find within yourself. The person sitting next to you needed salvation just as well as you did. And so when we, when we are our master and when we allow other people to be our master, that's when we become miserable. Because Christ is the all-sufficient one. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. Why? How foolish it is that we look to ourselves, yet we do it so often. So who is your master is the first question. The second question is this. What is your motive? The servant in Deuteronomy chapter number 15, he was allowed to go free. But if he didn't want to go free, what was his motive for that? I mean, that kind of seems insane if you are a servant for six years and you have the opportunity to go free. And not just go free, you have the opportunity to leave with some wealth. Your master would give you wealth. What was the motive behind that? In Deuteronomy chapter 15, in verse number 16, we find the motive. And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee and thine house, because he is well with thee. What is your motive? If Christ is your master and, and you want to live your life to serve him, what is your motive? I was reading a book for homiletics class actually at Crown, and a really great book, and it said this. It said, Our, we are so success-oriented. We, we want victory in our Christian lives. How many of you want victory in your Christian life tonight? I think we can all agree that we want to live victorious Christian lives. And we want happiness, we want joy, we want peace, we want fulfillment, we want all those things. But we are so success-oriented that we make victory our goal. And the book said this that I was reading. We make victory our goal when really obedience should be our goal. And I was sitting there reading that, and someone came in and asked what I was reading, and I told them what I just told you. I was like, wow, this is really good. The next day in class, they, it was a staff member, and they called me in class and said, Danny, I found a better goal, a higher goal than obedience. There's something that comes before obedience. In John uh, chapter number 14 and 15, Jesus said this, If ye love me, keep my commandments. He, he said in verse 21 of John 14, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And so often we, we want victory and we say we love our master and, 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 we, and we say I just want to please him, I just want to live for God. But we don't really, we don't really love him like we ought to. I remember as a kid, my grandmother, there, there would be, I'm from Georgia, and some of those church services would get a little crazy sometimes. It's just the, I don't, I'm not going to get into all that, but it's just, and, and we would have testimony services where the Lord moved and, and people would just testify and praise God for what he's done. And my grandmother would always stand up 
And she would always start her testimony with the same thing. And she would say, I just wanted to say that I love the Lord. And I grew up hearing that time after time after time. I just want to say I love the Lord. And it's like we, we know we should love God, but we don't really know what that means. We don't really know what it means uh, to love the Lord. In, in uh, 1 John chapter 2, in verse number 15, it says this, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And we love other things besides Christ. We were at a camp last week, and it's like, I, I spoke to several young people about this. The thing right now, all of us have a thing in our mind that if we, thought, if we think about it, there's somewhere we would like to be right now. There's someone maybe we'd like to be with. There's something we would like to be doing. And really and truly, if that's what we're thinking about in a church service, that's the thing that we love. And the question is, why is that not God? Why is it that our, we're always thinking about something else, going, doing something else, rather than sitting in the presence of God because we don't love him like we ought to? And Jesus said this, if ye love me, keep my commandments. If we love him, we will obey him. And if we obey him, we'll have victory. Love always leads to obedience, whether it's for Christ or whether it's for something else. And so that goes back to who is your master? Because if you love your master and, it, and your master is self, then you are going to love self and you are going to obey self and you're not going to have victory. Who is your master? What is your motive? And then the, the last thing is this. Where is your mark? In Deuteronomy 15, the servant there, if he did not go away, if, if he wanted to stay with his master, there was something that had to be done. Something had to be done to that servant so that everyone would know, okay, this servant served for six years, but he did not want to leave. This servant did what he was supposed to, but he said that he loved his master and he would not go away. And so the, the master would take the servant and he would take him to a doorpost and he would hold out his ear and he would drive an all through it. Not just some tiny nail, but a, almost like a... And he would put a hole through that servant's ear and to that servant's family who would do the same thing. And so I'm asking, where is your mark? If you say that... Christ is your master, and you say, and if I say this, if we say that we love him, and that's our motive for serving him, that's our motive for staying with him, that's our motive for living for him, if, if, that, if those things are true, then where is your mark? How do people know that? Where you go day by day, how do people know that, that you are his servant? The Apostle Paul knew a little bit about better about that mark than, than most of us do. 2 Corinthians 4, he said this, Seeing therefore we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. But have renounced the 
hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so often what we do is that we, we, hide, we hide what God has done for us. I don't understand how we do that. I, I think it's because of selfishness and because of pride. But remember what he did for us. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy. We've received mercy. He's rescued you and me from hell. We, we don't have to go to hell anymore. He's, he's saved us. He died for us. And yet, how often do we hide, hide that fact? And, and it's like we... we Maybe you are involved in ministry, and maybe we, we go door knocking, and, and we, we, we are involved in ministries of the church and things like that. But yet, when we go out and about, wherever we go, in the grocery store, at the fast food restaurant, or wherever, it's almost like the people there, well, they're not, I'm not out on soul winning today. So I'm just going to not, well, aren't they souls as well? Aren't they souls who Christ died for just like you and me? We hide it. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And then on down, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Why? Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. That's the mark. Dying to self and like Christ being alive and, and, and seen in our lives. And yet so often our flesh is alive and we keep Christ dethroned and in almost, we treat Christ so often like, like he's still in the tomb. He, he defeated death and yet we live such dead Christian lives. And I wonder when is the time going to come in my life? And when is the time going to come in our lives? What church is it going to be? What place is it going to be where, where that revival begins and we realize, oh, we're dead to sin. Oh, we, we have the answer. We have the gospel. And, and we go out and we preach it to the lost and dying world. And when is that time going to come? I know it won't come until we understand who our master is. It won't come until we love Christ like we ought to. And it won't come until we realize we must die to self in order for Christ to be seen in us. The Apostle Paul, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 11, he gives a huge list. He says, uh, of the Jews, five times received I, 40 stripes save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I shipwrecked, thrice I suffered uh, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. And one in journeyings often, in perils of waters, and in perils of robbers, and perils by mine own countrymen, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness. 
and perils in the sea and perils among false brethren and weariness and painfulness and, and watchings often and hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness besides uh, those things that are without that which cometh upon me daily the care of all the churches who is weak and I am not weak who is offended and I burn not and then he says Really a strange thing, from the point of view of the world, what a strange thing to say. He says, if I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. I mean, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was robbed, he was constantly looking behind his shoulder to see who was chasing him to kill him. He, he floated in the water a, a, a night in the deep. <laughs> He didn't mention this. He was bit by a snake. I mean, he lived a life of danger. And, and, and really, I mean, how many of us, if we had to trade one of our comforts for one of his infirmities, would even be here today? I, I, I mean, I may give up. If I, if I was stoned out in, in the town center beaten with stones, stones thrown at me and left for dead. I don't know if I would be at church tonight. <laughs> but yet, so often we let the tiniest of things, the littlest of things, hinder us from serving God. And maybe, there, I know there are people here, I have no doubt there are people here who have gone through some very dark storms Probably recently, maybe today, you have gone through something I cannot even imagine. And, and so often, we have no, no problem listing off our infirmities. The, the Apostle Paul did that. But when he got to the end of it, he said, If I must needs glory, I will glory things which concern my infirmities. Why would he... Give glory to God in the middle of all those crazy, wild sufferings that he went through. Because he knew this. He knew that through those things that God was seen. Christ was made manifest in his body. Because he died to self and Christ was seen alive through him. And yet, so often... We take what Christ has done for us. We take his love and, and we take all these things, his grace, his mercy. And we love taking it and we, we even love praising him for it. I'm so thankful that he died for me. I'm so thankful for his grace and how it strengthens me to continue on. But we take it and we sit there with it. And we do nothing with it. We take, we take his kindness to us and we trade it in for comfort. And, and we sit there and we're happy and we're content sitting on the church pew, listening to another message, another song. And look, I'm speaking, this is a testimony, okay? I do this just as probably more than anybody else here. We take it and we sit there and we just, God, thank you for that. And meanwhile, the world is dying and going to hell all around us. And our comfort blinds us. When is the time going to come where we wake up? What is it going to take? What is it going to take for that to happen? 
I don't know if the Lord will have to take something away from me or I don't know what it'll take. But I do know this, we're not going to see revival until it happens. Who is your master? What is your motive? And where is your mark? There must be death to me. Now, we, we think about all these things and, and we think about Yes, we should be that servant. We should say, I love my master. I will not go out free. I will stay with my master. We should be willing to take the mark. We should be willing to see, be seen by the world as a Christian, be bold for Christ. But it's almost like, what do little kids ask when they're told to do something? Well, why? Why do I have to do that? We ask the same thing. I know I do. When I read something from God's word and, I, and, I, and he convicts me and I think, well, why do I have to do that? That's uncomfortable. I have to give the gospel to someone out in public. I have to inconvenience somebody's day and give them the gospel. That's a little inconvenient for the two of us. I, I have to serve God. I have to give up other worldly things in my life to serve God. Well, why? Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's why. Because although Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing thing that we should never get over. That although, I, although my heart is wicked and I, I'm, so, I'm so sinful, I'm so selfish, and I, I, I focus on self so often, and, and, though, and though we all do that, and though there are people out in the world who, who commit such heinous and hateful and wicked and evil crimes, Although that is true, but God commendeth his love toward us. In that, though that is true, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing thing. What a humbling thing. What, in a hum what a humbling thing to think that, just as we read earlier in Philippians 2, he became a servant for us. He loved us like that. And by the way, still does. He still does. It's because of that, it should be no issue for me to be that servant for him. It should be no issue for me to say, God, I give you my life. God, I do want my life to count for you. I want my life to glorify you. I'm done living for self. I'm done living for other people. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to, my time, my energy, my life, my body, every, every fiber of my being, I'm going to give to you because of what you've given to me. Herein is love. The world thinks they know what love is. They think they know. A lot of Christians think they know. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. I'll finish with this story. I've told this story all over the place, and these guys have heard it so many times. But it's because it, I, I love this story so much. 
There was a young girl in England named Edith, Edith Cherry. And Edith was born, and when she was born, it was obvious something was wrong with her. And they found out she had polio. And at the age of 12, Edith had a severe stroke. And uh, she really came near to death when she had that stroke. And so she was bedridden for months. And as she was bedridden, at the age of 12, okay, she decided that she was going to give her life to God, and she decided that she was going to write poems and hymns for Christ. That's what she told everyone. I'm going to write hymns and poems for Christ. Twelve years old. Side note, don't discount the decisions that kids that age make. I answered the call to preach at 11 years old. It was real to me then. It still is. It's real to, to kids that age. But Edith decided at age 12 she was going to give her life to God. She had polio. She lived her life walking around with crutches. She couldn't get anywhere without crutches. She was disabled. And, and the truth is, if we saw Edith here today, she would have been a, a, a small girl, disabled, and Sadly, the way that our society is, we probably would look at her and not think much of her. That's just the way that we think often. So Edith gave her life to God. At the age of 25, there, there's many stories about her. She wrote a hymn uh, when Charles Spurgeon died, and it was read and sung to thousands of people at his funeral. Just a little girl with polio, who in the eyes of the world would not seem like much. Her hymns became very well known throughout England. And at the age of 25, Edith had another stroke. And this time, it, it really came to the point of death. She laid there and she said, she said something like this. Mother, I would be talking to her mother who was there with her. Mother, I would be very disappointed if I didn't go now. Talking about going to heaven. I've been wanting to go for some time. I'd be really disappointed if it wasn't now. That's quite a bold thing to say at the point of death. And, and she said this. Edith said this. As she's laying there dying, she said... She said to her mother, Mother, it seems so small. All that I've tried to do for him, it seems oh so small. All the thousands of poems and hymns written for Christ, she said it seems so small. And her mother said, uh, she said, but when you die, your, your poems and hymns will carry on your work. And Edith said, but they weren't my poems and hymns to begin with. They were his, and all I had to do was write them down. And she died, and she went into eternity. And she died thinking that what she had done for Christ was so small and so insignificant. And she had no idea her poems would travel the world. I mean, they were, they were sung by missionary children and, and orphans in India, they even found Edith's poems pasted to a stone wall in a leper infirmary in Palestine. And so as lepers would literally lay there and die, they would read the poems that she had written. 
about Jesus Christ. But my favorite instance of Edith's poems traveling the world is this. Many years later, in the 1950s, there was a, a group of young couples they had gathered together in the jungle of Ecuador. And they stood there, and they had gone to be missionaries, and they sang these words that Edith had written. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth against the foe alone, strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We go forth, and in thy name we go. And that was Roger Udarian, Pete Fleming, Ed McCulley, Nate Saint, and Jim Elliott. And it wasn't but five days after that that they were speared to death in the jungles of Ecuador, trying to preach the gospel to a people who had never heard it before. Meanwhile, Edith is there in eternity. I mean, can you can think about this? She thought what she had done for Christ was oh so small. But I'll tell you what she did do. She made herself just like that servant. She didn't let some infirmity or some difficulty get in the way of her serving God. She said, I'm going to get whatever I have, I'm going to give him. Just as well as those missionaries did. How many of us here tonight are we're holding back? Maybe that's the thing holding back revival in your heart. I'm not even talking about some widespread national revival. I'm talking about in your heart you can have revival. But you're holding on to some kind of self-will or or some, something you're holding on to and saying, I, I'll serve him, but I'm not going to give him that. I don't know what that is. I don't know the answers to these questions for you. I don't know who your master is. I don't know what your motive is. And I don't know if your mark is seen by others. I do know this. Christ was not ashamed for us. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for your word, and God, thank you for how it speaks to us. Lord, please continue to speak to us. Oh God, please help us. Help me to serve you with all that, all that I have. Or let us hold nothing back. Or forgive us for, for being so stale and so complacent and so comfortable that we can't die to self because... Because we just want to live for self. God, please forgive us. Please help us. Please convict us. Thank you for your word and how it speaks to us. Lord, let it continue to speak. In Christ's name I pray, amen.